The majority of Canadians, according to one poll, agree with Conservative leader Pierre Polyev's belief that everything in Canada is broken right now. Alberta Justice Minister Tyler Shandro says the Liberal government is still intent on banning rifles and shotguns used by hunters and farmers despite the government's withdrawal of a controversial amendment to Bill C-21. And this past weekend, students gathered at Wilfrid Laurier University in Ontario to protest the school's ongoing mask mandate. Yep, you heard that right, they've still got one. Hello Canada, it's Monday, February 6th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. A new Leger poll reveals that the majority of Canadians believe many things in the country now feel broken which is in line with one of the main narratives of conservative leader Pierre Polyev. In November, Polyev said, quote, it feels like everything is broken in this country right now, referring to the inflation crisis, the high cost of goods and services, and more. But in response, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said, quote, when he says that Canada is broken, that's where we draw the line. Let me be clear for the record, Canada is not broken. However, according to the poll released on Saturday, 67% of Canadians agree with Polyev's statement that, quote, it feels like everything is broken in this country right now. 68% of Canadians reported that rising costs and the inflation crisis are most important when it comes to the issues impacting them and their families. Meanwhile, 50% of Canadians are angry with the way Canada is being managed today. And Andrew, this poll, when they went out into the field, they were pretty explicit saying, here is a statement made by a leading Canadian politician. How do you feel about this statement? So they weren't just going sort of vague on the theme, but they were saying, uh, do you agree with politicians making these statements? And here we go, two thirds saying, yeah, I'm kind of seeing it in my country. Yeah. And when you've been in power for pushing a decade, the idea that the country is broken is not something that's going to reflect well on you because it means it's happened on your watch. And obviously the pandemic was a larger issue than one that could be blamed on a politician, but the response to it is something that does fall squarely at Justin Trudeau's feet. And I, and I think that a lot of the times what we've been seeing is Justin Trudeau really hiding behind these bigger picture things, hiding behind the global nature of inflation, the global nature of the pandemic, and not really taking responsibility for the system-wide breakdowns that have taken place on his government's watch. Yeah, I think it would be one thing if he was front and center every day saying, I'm laser focused on dealing with the affordability crisis, helping Canadians with cost of living, and then maybe still numbers were negative and Pierre Polyev and other politicians could say, well, you're not doing enough, but it would be clear that at least the Liberal government was was at least paying lip service to it or at least trying. But the thing I find odd right now is it's clearly obvious Canadians are concerned about this issue, yet Justin Trudeau is almost singularly focused on other stuff, pet projects like an almost weekly climate change announcement, uh, the obsession with Bill C-11, firearms legislation. I mean, they're, they're not front and center on the inflation issue. No, and I think there's a real offensive point in the government government's rejection of folks sharing their own experiences here, because Pierre Polyev wasn't just speaking in his own sense about what was happening. He was uh, speaking about what Canadians have told him and things that I've written about even before Pierre Polyev made that point. So Justin Trudeau is putting his back up against the wall here and saying, whoa, 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 you can't say this is broken. It He's taking it person, 
externally, but not actually internalizing it. Yeah, I think one thing Pierre Polyev is doing pretty well is he is just articulating what people were already saying. So he is speaking to those frustrations that are perhaps inchoate in terms of people are not articulating them the way he's articulating them, but he's just kind of reading the room and then speaking to that. And then to your point, Justin Trudeau saying, no, no, none of this is happening. What are you talking about? Everything's working fine. On Friday, Liberals on the House of Commons Public Safety Committee withdrew a controversial amendment to Bill C-21. This amendment would ban numerous models of rifles and shotguns, including many used predominantly by hunters, farmers, as well as sports shooters. However, despite the withdrawal, Alberta Justice Minister Tyler Shandro is saying the Trudeau government is still intent on banning hunters and farmers' shotguns and rifles. Shandro said that, uh, in his view, Marco Mendicino, quote, made it clear, unquote, that the decision to remove the amendments was merely a pause in the Liberal government's campaign. And you can look at the statement from Marco Mendicino, which said, quote, we are now getting to work with our parliamentary colleagues to craft a clear solution that will keep assault-style weapons off the streets, unquote. Uh, Shandro is reading between the lines here. He says he and law-abiding gun owners know this is code language, basically, signaling Marco Mendicino's and the Liberal government's intent to continue to pursue avenues to ban widely owned shotguns and rifles, which, when owned by law-abiding gun owners, are not contributing to one iota of criminal activity in this country. The Liberals are still forging ahead with Bill C-21. If passed, this will cement their national ban on handgun sales. It'll also introduce a so-called red flag and yellow flag laws to expand the ways authorities can seize firearms of individuals believed to be a danger to themselves or others, or those suspected of owning firearms without a license. Uh, basically, I think the government realized here they stepped in it, but I also wonder if they're just going to get more creative about how to do the ban. Remember, the handgun ban, when there started to be some pushback on C-21, they just put in an order in council. Yeah, Andrew, how do you think they're going to proceed in this regard? Because we now know that there are a whole lot of folks from, from different backgrounds, walks of life, uh, different voter demographics even, who are saying, look, we don't see this as actually halting uh, gun crime in major cities in Canada. Nobody's buying it. Urban voters aren't buying it. You've got rural folks, First Nations individuals, everyone just kind of getting tired of all of this. How would they actually do that? How would they try and do a face-saving measure here where they still sort of pass the bill, but also deal with some of these criticisms? It's all about rebranding. I mean, the, the reality is it is a minority of Canadians who are firearms owners. And the Liberal government is noted for exploiting the lack of knowledge that exists among, you know, the average suburban family in Canada about guns. So when they use terms like assault-style weapon, assault-style firearm, what they're doing is really trying to concoct an image of things that are used without issue every day by millions of people that is not an accurate reflection of it. And I think that what happened here is that there were so many Canadians affected relative to other measures by these uh, rifle and shotgun bans that they stood up and be like, whoa, 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 this is not an assault-style gun. I use this to feed my family. I use this to protect my crops. And I, I think that the rebranding effort by the Liberals was just a little too ambitious. So help me out here, Andrew, because they're not really benefiting in terms of appealing uh, to voters in urban areas, suburban areas who think this will somehow magically solve 
uh, gang crimes with already illegal guns, and they're also not really accomplishing anything meaningful with the legislation. So what's the point? What can they do next? Well, I, my theory on this, and it's speculation, so take it for what it's worth, is that the liberals don't like the type of people who own guns. And that dislike is more than their dislike of the specific firearms. So I think what they're trying to do is just gradually erode the gun culture in Canada so there really isn't this group that's going to push back against them. Students and faculty at Waterloo's Wilfrid Laurier University held a protest this past weekend against the school's ongoing mask mandate. The Southwestern Ontario University continues to require that students wear masks in instructional spaces, even though masks are not required almost anywhere else in the province other than medical facilities. The protest was organized by fourth-year philosophy student Camille Bacucci and Students Against Mandates. The rally was held at Waterloo Town Square and featured speeches from Laurier Associate Professor David Haskell, Haldeman Norfolk County Acting Medical Officer Dr. Matt Strauss, and a first-year student who spoke about his struggles trying to obtain a medical exemption from the mandate because he'd recently had no surgery. The student said the ordeal took a month and it resulted in him missing class time. Andrew, first of all, I'm saying... Is this deja vu all over again? Why am I talking about this 2020 story right now? And what is it, February 2023? And number two, what? Is this serious? Is this thing still going on? Yeah, and universities are in this weird twilight zone. Not a lot of them. University of Western Ontario in London is also one of those schools that's clinging to its mask mandate, one of the only places in the country apart from healthcare facility that still has this thing. Uh, you're right. I mean, students, good on them for standing up and protesting against this. But I'm still wondering, like, why on earth this is a thing that is in 2023, a battle that these students need to take up. And, and you mentioned Matt Strauss. Uh, he's been tweeting from a medical perspective about a, a few studies that have come out even in the last week showing the ineffectiveness of masks in general, certainly on a population that, you know, rips them off the second they're out in the classroom and they all go out and party together at the bar and hang out at their own house parties. I mean, it's pure theater at universities. Yeah, I mean, I'm at the point now where I just want to laugh at this, roll my eyes at it. I have a friend who was a graduate from there who said that uh, he canceled giving his regular donation as an alumni member to support it. So it's all just very silly. But then this is real daily life for these students. So I also feel for them because as much as it's just a ridiculous thing from our perspective, it, it is their lives. Yeah. And the problem with the push towards masks is that it's often defended by, well, it's just a mask. It's not a big deal. It's not as intrusive as a vaccine mandate. But the reality is when you have to cover your face and there's an academic sanction for not doing this thing that was entirely foreign to us before a couple of years ago, this is not natural. This is not just this minor concession that we should overlook. And I, I'm glad that that one student, uh, Camille Pachucci, has been uh, so amusingly and hilariously, I'd say, pushing back against this through the year by, you know, uh, finding the letter of the law and wearing, you know, romaine lettuce or a bell pepper as a mask. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.